0: Hi, everybody. I think we're, uh, yeah, going to, where are we going to? No, 1 Thessalonians 5. Our um, passage today is continuing from what uh, was in the last two classes. But we uh, begin with the idea that to find happiness, which is the first commandment here, uh, God commands us to be happy always. And think about how daunting that is. If someone says, I want you to be happy all the time, rejoice all the time. And how many people have gotten fed up with their own misery and their own miserable lives and they've said one day, I'm determined to be happy. I'm going to be happy from now on. And they go the same way as everybody who makes a New Year's resolution or tries to quit all kinds of stuff or go on diets and that, they um, they they try to quit things on their own. and <clears throat> in, in some cases, people are successful at this, but it's it's always in that case that something really drastically changes in them. Uh, the point is that none of us can really change anything about us, you know, anything that's hard to change if we don't ourselves change. You know, uh if if we don't if uh the addict tells the addict to quit his addiction think about that like if i'm an addict and i have been uh, an addict tells an addict i'm if if i'm on my own and i'm an addict i don't i shouldn't laugh at it because for some people it's the greatest tragedies that if I haven't changed in my heart, I'm still an addict to whatever it is. It can, there's multiple things uh, I tell myself, and I haven't changed. So an addict is telling an addict to quit his addiction. And who's really in charge, right? There's you know who's who's running the ship. Who's the addict is? Uh, who's you know we need a we need a real pilot in the cockpit who can turn the plane around. My point is is that there has to be real change in a person's heart if they're going to change from behavior that suits this world to behavior that suits the new world. And the new world is the world of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that world is heaven. And that's where he is. And we're told to seek our lives there in heaven with Christ. We find today, and this is our theme for today, is that a believer can find Christ, but a believer cannot find happiness. We cannot make ourselves happy. We cannot make ourselves thankful. The people who set out to say, you know what, I'm going to be a happy person from now on. It may last for a little while while you're distracted with your newfound vigor. But if you haven't changed, you're going to be the same old miserable person you were prior. You know, you end up and, and what happens with us as Christians is that if we haven't changed in our hearts and yet we keep returning to passages that say be happy all the time or be joyful, be prayerful, we say, well, you know, this is all just idealistic gas, isn't it? I mean, it's certainly outside of my reach. And that's why, in a way, today we kind of pause in our passage, uh, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. That's our main passage. We pause here to make sure that we understand that we don't set out to get those things, though we have to have them. But if we find Christ we find change. If you find Christ, you find happiness. And God has given you the Holy Spirit within for that very purpose. God wants us so much to find Christ and the Father that He's given us Himself to indwell in us to make that real. But we have to make choices. We have to seek Christ and we have to obey Him. We have to follow Him. And if we do those things, God promises we will change. Let's pray uh, and let's uh, ask God for guidance and direction in seeing these important principles in his passage and to know also as we pray that change takes time, but we know where it is. And let's be grateful to him for that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and your son. By giving us your son in his finished work on the cross, by dying for us, he has given us his life. He gave his life so that we could have it. He took our sins so he could give us his righteousness. And he did it in the most amazing misery of suffering and judgment that the world could never seen It's beyond us to even imagine it. But, Father, we're so grateful that you have set before us the path by which we can be whole and complete in our experience, just like we are in our position, that we can be grateful just like we will be for eternity in heaven. You have saved us by grace, and it is by grace that you will lead us to discover the things that are going to truly change us. And so we ask for that, Father, through your spirit today, that we each will be that much more changed according to your will. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. So believers are, as we know, the light of the world. Uh, Christ said this in Matthew chapter 5. It's a part of the Sermon on the Mount. He told us that we are the light of the world, And then he said, let your light shine. In Matthew 5.16, he said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He made the point, the point that uh, a lot of the writers in the New Testament uh, make again, that it's just silly to do certain things if you are who you are. So, Paul will say, like for instance in Colossians 2, if you died to the things of the world, why are you still submitting yourself to them? So it's an argument of, doesn't that seem silly? You know, it's, that's the kind of argument, uh, motivation that it is. And Christ says in a similar fashion, if you light a lamp in a house, why would you put a basket over it? You know, it's like, uh, like when your parents, I do it now. I run, you know, if you're, when you get older, you run around the house turning all the lights off that your kids leave on. Whereas when you were kids, you were you were the one who left the lights on because you didn't pay electrical bills. You know, so, uh, same way in the ancient world, if you lit a lamp, which is oil, and oil is, you know, it costs money, it'd be absolutely ridiculous to put a, a basket over it. Uh, in the same fashion, Christ said, if you're a light of the world, why would you hide yourself? Later on in his famous sermon, he said that the eye is the lamp of the body. Just a few verses later, he says the eye is the lamp of the body. And the lamp has an obvious function. It's to give light to the house. He said, however, if our lamp has gone bad, then it's not a light, it's darkness. Uh, So it's a contradiction yet again that a light, which is designed to give light to the house, is actually something that's dark. It wouldn't be a light at all. And that's the point that he makes. So then he says, if your eye is, in various translations, New American Standard says clear, NIV says good. If your eye, King James says single or singular, and that's really what the word means. The word means if, if your eye is good or clear or healthy, he said, then your whole body will be full of light. So what does he mean by I? Well, as a lamp lights the house, what is an eye supposed to do but look for stuff or look at stuff? And as we'll see today, we're to look at Christ. By And, and it's so wonderfully simple, although he's not simple, that I pursue him, and find you're finding a person now, and it's the most complex person in the universe, right? We've got God and man, high priest. He's not only the high priest who offers the sacrifice, he's the sacrifice itself. He's the lion of Judah and the slain lamb. Those are two contradictions. He's got contradictions galore. And so, yeah, the simplicity... The simplisticity, I guess, is what I was going to say, is that you're just finding him, and that's it. Find him. Now, when when you find him, you're going to find you're finding a person, and a super complex one. But you're finding the coolest person in the world, the greatest, the best, the happiest, the most thankful, the most obedient, and. You know, he's not far away from you. He indwells you. He's your husband. And you're his forever. So, and and God gave you the Holy Spirit so you can find him. That's exactly the Spirit's mission inside of you. And so, we've got everything going for us to be able to find him and see him. And when we do... That's the eye, right? The eye seeks. And when the eye sees him, then we're going to be happy, prayerful, thankful people. In this context, we speak of our witness to the world, meaning you're a light to the world, so make sure your light shines. If we're not, you say, I'm a witness for Jesus Christ, but I'm miserable and I'm grumpy. And I'm not a grateful person, and I don't really care a lick about you. Um, well, you're not much of a witness. You know, you might have words, but your words are not backed up by anything. And and that's very true. I mean, it's a vital aspect of Christianity that there's no one else here to represent Christ besides us. Who's, who else is going to do it? I mean, it's up to us to do it. Um, And, you know, that doesn't mean we all have to run out to, like, Africa or India or somewhere, wherever missionaries go now, but just in your own neighborhood, to your own neighbors, to people you know, you witness by being the person that you are, the wonderful person that you are in Christ. People will see it. But, you know, this being happy is not entirely selfless, is it? It's what we really want. So, in, in one way, it actually is quite selfless because if you're seeking yourself in your own happiness, you're never going to have it, right? So, happiness is actually quite selfless. If I am seeking myself, like I just want to be happy, I don't care who I gotta, what I gotta do to who. Uh, you know, I'm gonna be happy no matter what. Then you're going to end up being miserable. Uh, So, what we need to do is grow more, not increase. And that's kind of our theme for today. We're not to increase, increase is a worldly word. It's very, it's close to be, I say, well, that plant over there increased. We don't really say it that way. We say the plant grew. It's the same plant. Yeah, it's bigger. But when it comes to us as adults, we don't get big. Well, we do get bigger, (laughs) unfortunately. But, uh, you know, when it comes to, we don't get taller. Uh, We get shorter, actually, as we grow, right, as we age. But, um, you know, when it comes to us, growth is what? It's in the soul. It's invisible. And it's not an accumulation of things. It's an actual ability to enjoy life way more, to live better. Look, I already live, but when I'm happy, I live better. Uh, So happiness is definitely selfless, because if I seek it for myself, I'm never going to find it. But at the same time, rejoicing is always a part of life's greatest blessing. It is a part of it. Who doesn't want to be happy? Who doesn't want to have and say, now, prayer, why do people not want to pray? Ah, it's burdensome. It gets in the way of the other things I want to do, meaning I don't want to do it. But, you know, when you pray, you have the ear of the Almighty Creator. Now, if that were very real, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to have a life where they're thankful for everything? So people say, well, give me just good stuff all the time that I like, and then I'll be thankful for everything. And in fact, we find out, because human nature that we are, fallen, that the things you're thankful for now, if you kept getting them and getting them over and over again, we get used to them and we're no longer thankful for them. I like in that. That's like the new car syndrome, right? It's awesome. The first few months you drive it, still smells like a new car and, you know, it's fun to drive and all of that. And then eventually it just becomes old. And we, you know, same thing happens with everything for us. So happiness is not about getting the things that we want all the time. Neither is thankfulness. Thankfulness and happiness and being a prayer, a good prayer is related to finding Christ. And so We must not increase, we must grow. And we want to explore for the first part of today's class what that really means. What does it mean to not increase and what does it mean to grow? Well, first I'm going to start with a story. There's a story of a certain man who had a vision. In his vision, an angel took him to a place which he thought might be heaven. He stood on a street. It looked kind of like a quaint village. It had lots of shops and people, small little houses, beautiful little place. And he and the angel who took him there entered a shop. And the man noticed that all the customers in the shop sought out what they wanted. They took it to the clerks who promptly gave it to them or went to the clerks and asked for what they wanted. The clerks gave it to them. And he saw this transaction happen over and over. And every time it happened, the faces of those who received and the faces of those who gave, the people who worked at the store, were filled with satisfaction. It was very satisfied. He watched this happen many times before he realized that no money was being exchanged. So he spoke to the angel. And he says, isn't it amazing that they are so trusting here? They give credit to everybody. And so smart, keeping track of everyone's account without writing anything down. They haven't written down one purchase. The angel replied, you misunderstand. They don't exchange money here at all, ever. Money is only necessary if there is greed. The man thinks about that for a bit, and he says, wait a minute, that can't work. If there's no money, the shops will run out of all of their goods and the owners will go broke and starve. The angel said, well, in your world, that's true, but that's not true. All right, so people online, if you're listening, my battery lost power. So that's what we call a cliffhanger. You're right into the story and then it—that's <coughs> one of the things they tried to teach us in the class I was taking. So the man it said, uh, you know, if there's no money, it can't work. Everybody's going to starve. The angels said, well, in your world, that's true, but not here. Here, everybody supplies the needs of one another. If someone needs food, if someone needs their house fixed, if someone needs medicine, if someone, whatever they need, the whole community provides it. The man thought about this, and he said, so, okay, it's a barter system. And in other words, you exchange good and services for other goods and services. Like you want someone to fix your house, it's going to cost you like six chickens or something like that. There's no money. No, said the angel. No accounts are kept. There is no trade. No levels of value are attached to anything. The people give because they love the joy of giving. The people give because they love the joy of giving. Uh, Actually, I read, I modified this story, and I read it in a book. Last night, which I thought was directly from God for me today, and that a a, a book by uh, uh, George MacDonald is just a magnificent uh, writer. Uh, But what what he's speaking of here is the increase is of the world, but growth is a maturity of God. And in uh, the story, Wonderfully brings out something about us as believers on earth. If we were taken to that same fantasy world, we would have asked multiple questions too. And we would have asked many questions, found it really odd until we really figured out what was the reason for the way it functioned. You know, why would things function that way? And there's a reason to it. The angel in the stories gives the reason. The people give because they love the joy of giving. They're not after anything. But, and everything everything has a reason, right? A book has a reason. A table has a reason. Every noun, there's a a reason for it. There's a reason for a chair. You know, there's no other purpose for it. Once in a while, you use it as a ladder, I guess, or prop a door closed. I don't know, but, you know, you kind of run out of purposes. Generally, it's for sitting down. When it comes to our world, we live in a market system, and we have to. We absolutely have to. Hopefully, we live in a free market system. We need markets so that we can exchange goods and services quickly and easily, and we need money for that. The barter system won't really work on a scale that we you know, would need a system to work, and so we need currency and we need price. All right, so I'm going to sell you this, you know, I'm going to sell you my old Bible for a million dollars. No one's going to buy that. Everything needs a price based on supply and demand. And by that we have value to currency and that allows us to exchange. It's not. It'll never be perfect, but it's the best that we got in a fallen world. It's the best that we got by far. I won't go into marxism and communism it's not my point here but so what can what happens in in a system like that is that people get rich it's inevitable some of us will get rich and some of us will get poor and hopefully the majority of us will be somewhere in the middle which is the strength of that system is the middle class which we find out but you know in that system the rich could give to the poor if they wanted to but they have to want to. Some have had the idea that we're going to force the rich to give to the poor. And then they become, the, the enforcers become the masters and the more powerful. And it's just the transfer of power to them, which we find that out pretty quick. But my point in all this is not some flimsy economic lesson. It is the fact that we all live in this world and we know nothing else. We don't know anything else. The world that was described in the story, that's impossible, isn't it? I mean, there, is a, there was a time and a place where that world actually existed for a short time. And it was a short time. The very early church. But we live in a world, we know nothing else. If we were taken to that fantasy world of our friend, we would have asked the same amount of questions, figured out what was going on, the reason for their system. It would have taken us a while to figure out, and the reason for that is because we know no other system. And yet, we're told by God to live in a system just like it. Just like it. Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Matthew 6.20. He said, "You can't serve God and wealth." Matthew six twenty four. He said, "Give and it will be given to you." Luke six thirty eight. But then we say to ourselves, well, "Wait a minute! You want me to just give everything away?" Just like he said to the rich young ruler, right? He said, "Give it all away and you'll have eternal life." He said, "Whoa! I've got a lot. Of, I've got a lot of wealth. I'm not giving that away." So we say, how is that practical? That's not practical. Is it, is it really practical? We say, no, it's not. Come on. You want me to give? You know I have bills. You know I have a mortgage. You know I have a car payment. You know my kids are in college. You know that I have bills to pay. And what? I need a cushion because you never know what's going to happen. Especially with these nut jobs in Washington. You know, they're... they're Playing with our economy like kids playing with marbles or something. I don't know. But, you know, so we here's what we do. Because we're only used to one kind of world, we conclude that it's an ideal, but it's not a reality. But how does heaven work? It's systems. Uh, what's What's the currency in heaven, do you think? All believers need to be always reaching for the ideal. And here is, so this, what's our ideal before us today? Or in the last few days? Rejoice always. So that's impossible. But, although probably none of us could pull it off even for a day in perfect consistency. What if, we just, what if we never reach for it? We'll never realize what it could be. He says, always rejoice, without, uh, pray without ceasing, or without ceasing pray. Paul puts without ceasing first to emphasize that. And in all three commands, he puts the adverb in front of the verb. So he says, always rejoice, always pray, always give thanks. And, the, and in our inner self has to pursue this every day. And if we don't pursue it every day, we're never going to realize it. All right? We're going to be... Well, so what happens is... So, for instance, we'll say, well, you know, this is an ideal. You want me to rejoice all the time, but, you know, you do realize that I get cranky easy. You want me to pray all the time, but you know what? I don't really like to pray. It's hard for me to pray. It's hard to do it regularly. You want me to be thankful for everything, but I don't like everything. I'm not generally a people person. And I don't like a lot of stuff. So I have to be ungrateful sometimes. And you just have to deal with it. And so what we do is we compromise. We take the ideal and we say, well, it's that fantasy world that I just described in the story. I mean, we might as well live in a world without money. But I need money. I need money to do what I need to do, to pay what I need to pay, to have security. And look, uh, obviously, I'm not going to take an offering today after this nor am I have I ever asked anybody for a penny in this church and I never will I shouldn't say never you know but I'm pretty sure I never will let's let's not leave that as an ideal I will say confidently that I never will and you know it's what I am what I see here and what I want you all to see is that if we see this heavenly ideal and we say to ourselves, well, you know, come on, get real. This is the real world that i got to live in. You are taking the real world, you're putting it in your Christianity, you're mixing it all up, and you're making an amalgamation that is not of God. But then we convince ourselves that we're really doing it. And I don't want that for me, and I wouldn't want that for anybody who says that they're going to take my teachings. I wouldn't want that at all. This is a for real life that, according to the world, is completely crazy. According to the world, this is a real life calling to believers. This is not for your salvation, right? So if you're going to be the type of believer who says, well, you know what? (laughs) No, thank you. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven anyway. I don't need to do that. That's between you and God. Uh, the 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 motivation I have at the end of this, which is in my notes, that we're going to that's my last point before I leave you, so I'll say it now, is that we're going to be judged by Christ for what we've done, whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5:10. We are. We're going to be judged for what we've done, good or bad. So at least, you know, if you're if you consider me your pastor, you won't stand there before Christ and say, I didn't hear a lick about that. Right, and, and he's gonna say, Joe, can you come here? Well, he won't have to. He'll just show you a little I don't know, video. There'll be a little hologram Joe right there saying, blah, 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 blah. And so, yeah, I hate that guy. I'd never shut up, right? <coughs> We need an understanding that is going to forever break down the walls of our compromise. There's a wall there. Fear. It's It's our ignorance. And it's all in finding Christ. You know, the more we find Him, the more He calls us to do. And I think at times we're like, Christ, can you put the brakes on here? Because... Uh, I think I have enough. I'm I'm way more along than I used to be, and I think I'd like to stop here, please. And he's not going to put up with that. He loves you too much. The Lord says you can't serve two masters. That's what compromise is. Compromise is serving two masters. And it has to be something else than death that's going to break down the wall of compromise because death is certainly going to do it. When we're in heaven in a resurrection body or we're caught up in the rapture and the dead shall rise and the living shall be caught up with them in the air, no more compromise. Death is our sure cure of immaturity. However, it has to be done now. We need to comprehend something that's going to make us live heavenly. In this world, and to live heavenly in this world is to be completely abnormal. So we let's get back to our story. I know you've been chomping at the bit for this. The angel said to the man, "The people give because they love the joy of giving." The man pondered this statement and considered how much a system like this, or how such a system like this, could work. He realized then that it would work if everyone was willing to give in that way. So the man said to the angel, I have it. We are in heaven. And everyone here is perfect. Everyone here is righteous. There's no sin. There's no greed. So there's no need. So people don't steal or lie because their needs are always met. This is heaven. The angel said, no, it is not heaven. The angel said, at times, a person living here will fall for the temptation of increase and they will want more than what they have. That's what I mean by increase. We all have enough. The increase is, I want more. Now, The typical example of this is the billionaire who wants more money. I mean, he has more than he can count. He doesn't even count it. It's not like he ever looks at his bank account to wonder if he has enough money to make payments on anything. He's never thought about it. But he wants more. It's increase. The same happens with poor people. They're all of us. So, no, it's not heaven. He says, at times, a person living here will fall for the temptation of increasing what they already have and long for more. But when they do, the others gather in prayer and ask the Father to open his eyes to his sin and that he may in grace and forgiveness repent of his sinful way. If he has taken more, they forgive him and they don't ask for it back. When he repents, they all rejoice in God's forgiveness and grace. The community This community of lovers of God gather round the sinner in prayer and encouragement, and through love try to restore him. But the community does not let it hinder them, and they continue in their happy exchanges and the joy of giving. You know what it really is? It's the early church. The man stood, mouth agape, flummoxed. He said, How can these things be? Knowing his thoughts, the angel replied, My friend, you are hindered by your familiar way of increase. In your world, goods and services are linked to increase. Here, they're only linked to growth. Here, a man grows in his heart. His love and his graciousness and joy all grow within him. Growth is not increase. Increase is counted and then written in a book. Or in our case, a computer. But growth is lived and enjoyed. The people here live better and more abundantly as they grow in their hearts. They live in more joy, more prayer, more thankfulness to God for every transaction and for every person they know and they meet. They do not seek increase. They seek the growth of others and know that it will come through love and faith and graciousness. They exchange things as you have seen, but at every exchange they give one another love and acceptance and understanding. Those are the real commodities that are traded here as they supply each other's needs. Your world is about increase. This world is about growth. And as I said earlier, I give this example because we may look at these commandments in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 And say, okay, I get it. I need to be happier. I need to be praying more. And I need to be more thankful. And what you've said is I need more of that. I need more of that. As if it's a commodity. And, And do we need more? Absolutely. But we must understand how we get these things. So again, look at... Because the last part is very important. Look at 5.16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will. Will is singular, so it refers to all three, not just the giving of thanks right before it. And it's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now when Christ said, I've come into the world, why did I ask this on Sunday? Why did Christ come into the world? What was the ultimate reason for him to come into the world? And we find, yes, he came to save us. Yes, he came to defeat sin. He came to defeat, defeat Satan. He came to establish the kingdom of God on earth and so on. But what he, all of those are under the umbrella of the ultimate reason, which is in Hebrews 10. I have come to do your will, O God. This is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. When we know Christ, we will be rejoicing. When we know him, we'll not cease from praying. But it certainly has to be recorded for us as commands so that we do know the direction that we're supposed to go. So, in other words, the Bible can't say, No, Christ, and then close the cover. We have to know who he is in the scripture that is revealed. And it's also revealed here in these commands. Uh, Because we're sheep, we have to be commanded. And by by the command, we know that there's no other way. I say, God told me to be happy sometimes. And God says to me, no, he did not. He told you to be happy always. He told me to pray when I feel like it. No, he did not. He didn't even tell you just to pray. He said, pray without ceasing. In other words, pray at every opportunity. So when we conclude that we might need to be happier, praying more, be more thankful, and then we walk away and leave it at that, we don't change. We say, yeah, sure do. Back to my old life. Yeah, oh, definitely. Definitely need to be more happier. Definitely need to be more thankful. Going to work on that. No, you're not. Even if you did, you're not going to get anywhere. You need to know the Lord. And He is the key. He's the key to everything. And I say, well, how can I know Him? He's at the right hand of God. He's not anywhere here, but He's in you. He said to the disciples, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm always going to be with you to the ends of the earth. And if he is the God that he says he is, and he is. If he is the Savior that he, he is purported to be, and he is. And then he must do this for us. <clears throat> the blessing is that we have made we have been made. For this kind of life. It is not a pie in the sky ideal. It is a reality. That we are to grab hold of every day. Naturally then. If we conclude. That then we ask how. And that's a great question. How do I do that? Go to Colossians chapter 2. How do I do this? How do I find the Lord? Well, And we could go to. You know, we could spend months answering that question. It will just lead us to where, you know, where we, we know it to be. Colossians 2.2. Having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from a full assurance of understanding. So notice this love knit together. I refer you back to the story, which is, you know, was a reality once on earth knit together in love, attaining all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We have been knit together in love. We attain together all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. And understanding and full assurance is understanding him. You know, where is this wisdom? Where is this knowledge? It's in Christ. Love is in him. I mean, he is the epitome of it, who ex- expressed it in the cross, expressed it in his life, and his ministry, expressed it in his resurrection. And in, in there, in, in him, is this wisdom that breaks down the wall of compromise. In Him is the wisdom that changes my heart at its core, so that when I when I promise myself I'm going to be different, that I'm actually not doing it to myself. And this was so hard for me to understand for so many years. That you know they people always said to me, or a pastor always said to me, God does it, you don't do it. God does it, you don't do it. And it never happened for me. You know, I'm like, well, if God's doing it, what the heck is He waiting for? Why didn't he just do it? What, I, what the disconnect was, the fact that I had to submit to him. Yes, God does it. But if I don't submit, then he will do something. You know, it's not like he leaves me alone. He disciplines. He, oftentimes very gently, and sometimes very harshly, and, you know, and, yeah, he does things, but you know, if I'm truly going to change at the core of myself, Christ is definitely the one that's got to do it. But I have to, I have to look. So as He said, if the eye of your, if the eye is singular, if it's clear, if the eye is healthy, if it's good, then your whole body will be full of light. So in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now go to Colossians three one. He says, uh, Paul writes. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, this is a great. This is a, called a first-class condition. This, if you have been raised up with Christ, is not really a question to the Colossians, although it is. It's a way of saying to the Colossians who know they've been raised up with Christ, to get a response from them that says, "Well, Paul, yeah, I've been raised up with Christ." You know, it's that kind of thing. It's a it's a rhetorical device that Paul uses to elicit this aggressive response. You know, it's like you say, by the way, if you have grown up, you know what I mean? Or, uh, I don't know, um, I can't come up with any examples. But I hate it when I think it's coming and then it gets blocked. You know, uh, so someone will say to me, Joe, if you can't, if you can come up with an analogy. Like, of course I can come up with an analogy. And then I don't. But. Here he's saying, look, if you've been raised up with Christ, and their response would be, well, yeah, Paul, I've been raised up with Christ. Then he says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Then he uses a word, this word, set your mind. It it means also to set your affections. It means your whole self is set upon this. Seek the things above, and then in verse 2, which is another command, set your mind, set your affections on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. See, the things of the earth are the increase, the money, the currency. So, you know, how much do I have? How much do I have left? Uh, You want me to do something for you, what do I get back? Barter system. But you see, in God's kingdom... I long to do for you. And believe me, I'm not saying up here, I'm perfect at this. This is all, all of this that I've been teaching is just as new for me as any, if it is new for you, it's just as new for me. That God is calling us all forward. You know, do we have the courage to take the steps? And if we have the courage to take the steps, notice he says, if you keep seeking, you're going to find what? Well, uh, continuing, set your mind in the things above, not in the things of the earth. Verse 3, for you have died. I'm very much alive, Paul, thank you. But he means to the world, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Which is this, you will be revealed with him in glory when he's revealed. That's the promise. That when he leaves the right hand of God and reveals himself to the world, whether it be rapture or second coming, you're going to be revealed with him. That's your certain destiny. Now, what we just read in chapter 2 was that hidden in Christ is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And here we have hidden in Christ is your life. You find him. You find wisdom, you find knowledge, and you find your life. And this life, the life that you find with him, is the one that is happy, thankful, and praying. The the one that longs to talk to God. That life. Because it really is talking to God. It's not like a duty. It's not like a, a, a thing that I get through. Like something I'm supposed to do. I am actually talking to the almighty creator. And as the Lord said, he will do what I ask him. According to his will, according to his timing. Yeah, all of that. But he's going to do what I ask him. And if you become someone who prays, you know, like like we should, then God is going to do some things to show you that prayer actually does marvelously work. So we seek him. We find wisdom, we find knowledge, we find our life, which means we find happiness, we find thankfulness, and we find uh, our uh, life to communicate with the Father. Then we discover, you know, what is joy. I think we'll skip Philemon. Go to Luke chapter 22, just for the sake of time. I am a passage, you know, the book Philemon. It's a very tiny little letter that Paul wrote. And it's about a, a man, Philemon as a man who is a, a Christian man whose slave ran away. So he's a Christian man who owns slaves, but in the uh, at that in that time it was quite legal, and, if, and so anyway I'm not going to go into that. Take me too much time. So he owns slaves. His slave runs away, and it seems it's not particularly spelled out, but it seems his slave Anissimus, he took something with him, took some wealth or something of value from his master. And Isomus ends up with Paul somehow and becomes born again and saved. And he becomes one of Paul's great helpers. And Paul, who has turned to, come to love this guy and is of a great help to Paul, Paul says, you know, we've got to send you back to your master. It's not right that you don't go back. And, he, and sending Anisimus back, Paul gives him a letter. That's the book, that's Philemon. And he, he shows up and hands this letter to Philemon. And in this letter Paul's going to say, look, I'm an apostle. You owe your salvation to me, because it, it would seem that Philemon got saved by Paul, by Paul's witness, and he said, I could I could boss you, I could command you But he said, I want you to look at Onesimus as a brother. And, you know, he's still your slave, but I want you to look at him as your brother. And Paul said, if anything is owed to you, Paul said, charge it to my account. In other words, I'll pay for it. Now, of course, what Paul means in that, tongue in cheek, and of course, with all this time I'm explaining it, we could have just gone and read it. I hate when I do this. But what Paul is saying, look, If you want payment for this guy, I'll pay you. Do you think Philemon is going to take money from the Apostle Paul, who's in jail at the time he writes it? Paul knows he's not. We know he's not. But Paul, in his wonderful way, is saying, Look, Anisimus is your brother in Christ now. Yeah, you're owed money, but... We're all in a different kingdom where money, currency, owing, equal of value exchange, none of that is here. And that's what Christ says here. Night before he dies, Luke 22, 22-24. And then there arose also a dispute among them as to which of them was regarded to be the greatest. All right, so we know that this is at the Last Supper. They're still on each other about who's the greatest. I saw a little blurb on the upcoming season of uh, The Chosen, and they're going to press this theme um, amongst the disciples. You know, who's the greatest one? There's going to be some competitiveness, which they had. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. Now the benefactor is the guy in charge, like our government, and as much as we dislike them, they're necessary. You know, if you've read any history about places where the government is dissolved and then the people take over, uh, like it happened in uh, it was the Jacob, what are they called? the Jacobins? I think they were, it, after the French Revolution, they threw everybody out and they're like, oh, we're just going to take over and have everything. Nothing worked because you didn't have the administrators, the little bean counters running everything. The same thing happened when uh, Lenin and his crew overthrew the czar in Russia. And then they took over and didn't know how to run anything. And it was a disaster. We need benefactors. These are the people who supply the roads, the military, the running water and electricity, and we pay them our taxes. So it's a socioeconomic system in the fallen world. Necessary, but absolutely flawed, and it always will be. So he says the kings, they argue about who's the greatest. Jesus knows this, and he brings up, what he's going to bring up here is the old world kingdom versus his kingdom. In the old world kingdom, yeah, they fight with each other about who's the greatest. So that's how you're behaving. But he says, it is, but, verse 26, it is not this way with you. But the one who is greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. And so, what does he mean in verse 26? But that his kingdom is an upside down, completely upside down, to the kingdoms of the world. Give And it will be given you. And then Jesus says things like, well, they they took your shirt. They took my shirt. Now I don't have a shirt. He said, give me your, well, they took, we've got to do it the other way. They took my cloak. I don't know how they took your shirt without taking your cloak first. But anyway, they took my cloak. And then Christ said, well, give me your shirt also. Jesus, do you understand how absolutely impractical that is? So does he not mean it? Is it just idealistic gas? They slap you on the cheek, give them the other one. That is also very impractical. I'm going to get the heck beat out of me every day. So did he not mean it? I can tell you he meant it in exactly the way it's stated. And he meant it because we are to give our entire lives to him and to his kingdom. And when we say, well, you know, you're not, it's not practical. I live in the real world. (laughs) It's funny to say that because this is not, this is all destined to disappear. But anyway, I live in the real world. I can't do that. Here's what it's costing you. Because you get that choice, right? God's not going to come down and, and rip all your money away or whatever, He gives you the choice. You stick by what you decide. Everybody gets what they want here. God acknowledges decisions. You want separation from God forever? you got it. That's what the lake of fire is for. What's the cost to us? Happiness, thankfulness, and a proper prayer life. That's what we're giving up. And you can compromise. I know for myself I don't want to do this anymore. I also know how scary it is and how difficult it will be because my mind and my flesh is so used to the old system. And probably myself, i would not just probably, for the most part, most of my life, I have lived according to the old system. But this life is temporary. The next life is permanent. And it is in the next life that we're rewarded for this. That's the other thing. He's going to judge us according to what we've done. And he, he doesn't tell, And he's going to recompense. That's what the word is. He says you're going to be recompensed for what you've done. He doesn't give us detail. He doesn't tell us what the rewards are. But they're definitely going to be. So then he says in verse 27, using himself as the example, For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? The answer is obvious, so he doesn't wait for it. Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I'm among you as the one who serves? What does he mean? He washed their feet. He looks like the servant, but yet he is the greatest. So the very king of the universe came into our world and revealed his kingdom that was upside down to the world's kingdoms of earth. Humility is the great power of his kingdom. While the power of the old kingdom is influence, money, wealth, currency, and also power. Why hold on to our pride when it can only gain the elemental things of the world? We have died to the elementary principles of the world, so we must be humble. And another thing we must be is honest. All right, don't lie to yourself. At least know, be honest. And I mean also in a, in a good way. If you know, be honest with yourself. If you are one who is committed to this, but also let God be honest with you that this is the life. It's the life. God has made it so that faith is the only way that's going to take this step. And if we don't take it, we're giving up some things that, well, frankly, all of us want. So we must persevere. We must also understand that this is, this is the greatness of life that God has provided for us. God guarantees that if we pursue him, we'll find ourselves. Seek your life hidden with Christ and you'll find it. And when you do, uh, you know, because... So, for instance, uh, God's guarantee is that you, if, as you pursue Him, you will find yourself being more and more happy because of God. And I mean just because of Him. As you pursue Him, you will find yourself being more and more happy because of God. Because God is, and you are His, You will be happy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for the the calling, the exhortation. Uh, We're called in a very positive manner, Father, and that's what I want to emphasize, that you are in mercy and in grace calling us to yourself and teaching us, bidding us to lay aside the things of the earth, the things of the world, the things of this kingdom, these kingdoms of the earth that we're afraid to let go of because of security, because of other things too, Father. We ask that you give us the courage to see the light and be that light to the world. We ask in Christ's name, amen.